Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. After years of intensive and mostly futile efforts, Lebanon and Israel have launched overt negotiations in order to demarcate their maritime border between the port cities of Beirut and Haifa and westwards the presumably offshore energy treasure that lays beneath the Mediterranean in the direction of Cyprus. Delegations will be meeting under United Nations auspices at Nakula in southwest Lebanon with American mediation and the Lebanese military representing its government so as to bypass the thorny question of Iran and its proxy Hezbollah influencing Beirut's position. What is at stake and what are the prospects for an agreement which will benefit all parties? Joining us from the northern part of Israel is Colonel in Reserve Sarit Zehavi, who is a CEO and founder of the Alma Research and Education Center. Welcome. Thank you. Also joining us from central Israel is Dr. Eran Lerman, who is the Vice President of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security in a lecture at Chilem College. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be here again. And Mr. Oren, uh, our TV7 analyst, uh, Shalom. I'd like to immediately dive into today's uh, topic. Uh, give us a bit of an overview of uh, the negotiations between Israel and Lebanon on the matter of uh, boundary demarcation and so on, uh, offshore as well as onshore for uh, all intents and purposes. And uh, to what degree uh, are we expecting to see a shift in uh what has been uh, repeatedly tried but never successfully uh, ratified. So, Jonathan, at the risk of being not only overly simplistic, but also uh, provoking uh, resistance by my uh, fellow panelists, um, let me uh, say that the cliche win-win fits the shoe here. Because, uh, obviously, each party wants to get the best result out of uh, any uh, bargaining. But here, it is in Israel's best interest not to be too greedy, because any agreement which finds the uh, state of Lebanon, the nation of Lebanon, satisfied will be good for Israel because it will cause the Lebanese um, to reflect on what they are about to lose if they let extreme uh, groups such as uh, Hezbollah and uh, uh, outside forces such as Iran draw them into war. Now, as for the details, Lebanon uh, does not have any real uh, borders um, around it, from uh, north to uh, east, uh, towards south, and apparently west, uh, the Mediterranean. The Syrians uh, have always seen Lebanon as part of their country, they have refused to demarcate uh, the border. Uh, at one point, it also impacts on Israel because this is the Rajar, uh, Shaba Farms, and Shuba. Uh, all of these are between the Golan Heights and uh, the uh, tip of Lebanon, uh, which joins uh, Golan and has been uh, taken by Israel. Uh, in the 1967 war. So this is the eastern part of the border which is yet to be delineated, to be demarcated. On the western side, 
there is uh, what we are here for, and that is the maritime border, which for many years uh, wasn't really relevant. But for the last 20 years or so, um, after finding the huge deposits, mostly of gas, also of oil, uh, beneath the sea, the question of what happens 200 nautical miles away from your shore and where does your uh, shore really uh, begin? Um, is it this way or this way? If a cliff gets into the sea at what we call Roshanikra and the Lebanese call Nakura, uh, is it going uh, to point um, west-northwest or due west? And uh, because of these problems, uh, what happened is that certain blocks of water, right now it centers on a certain block nine, but uh, the detail is not that important, are in dispute between Israel and Lebanon after being uh, earlier uh, demarcated between Israel and Cyprus. Lebanon also has to demarcate its northern maritime border with Syria. There are still problems, but right now, what is about to happen at Nakura is that under American auspices, even though hosted by the United Nations, we are going to talk about the talks. These are not yet the talks themselves. Uh, the uh, topic is the modality of the talks, which will then take place in order to get some agreement about the maritime border. So this is, yes, cumbersome, complicated, but at the end of the rainbow, we may have a good outcome for both parties. Dr. Lelman, I'd like to refer the next question to you uh, along the many distinguished positions that you held. Uh, one of them, uh, you served as the Deputy National Security Advisor of Israel, uh, which, uh, among uh, uh, others, you also dealt with uh, the issue of, of maritime boundaries, uh, the exclusive economic zone uh, questions, the Block 9, which Mr. Olin referred to. Uh, and uh, it's always been uh, uh, far from linear. If, if you will, between Israel and Lebanon, countries that uh, do not necessarily recognize each other uh, at this stage, but uh, have a lot in common. Uh, to what degree do you see a, a shift today as opposed to previous attempts, which would uh, bring us to greener pastures or stiller waters, if you may? Well, uh, first of all, uh, the outcome will absolutely depend on the willingness and ability of the Lebanese, and that's still in question, we don't know, uh, to completely separate the maritime dimension and the land question, which, on which their demands and their positions are extravagantly absurd, and, uh, and, and uh, any attempt to link the outcome of the maritime delineation to their claims about uh, reopening the, the blue line uh, will, will end, will end uh, in failure. But if there is a willingness now to talk about seriously about uh, a compromise delineation in this triangle that uh, Amir Bowen has just described, um, that could happen. And uh, clearly, <clears throat> the, the main reason this is now on the table in a way that was not possible until not that long ago is that Lebanon is broke. Lebanon is totally 
um, in, on, on the edge of an economic abyss. The, uh, it was already halfway uh, uh, to disaster before the catastrophe in Beirut in August. The situation now is even more desperate. That's one side of the story. The other side of the story is that in the Eastern Mediterranean, you now have the major players, Chevron moving in for the first time in history, one of the, uh, the sisters, the main um, uh, energy companies of the world, moving into Israel uh, by uh, the acquisition of Noble Energy, um, others being interested in working with the Lebanese. So there is the, the, there's pull and there's push. And um, I always believed, uh, back when I was in government, and I still believe now, that a reasonable compromise, as uh, Amir said, is in, uh, in our uh, common interest, a win-win situation, for a simple reason. The cost of maintaining uh, production operations in um, a war zone, in a, a disputed area, is much higher than the cost of anything we may procure by securing our rights in the entire triangle. And we have very good uh, legal claims, by the way. The original demarcation done by the Lebanese with the Cypriots is where we say it is and not where they now say it is. And then they reconsidered. So if we wanted to do this uh, as a lawyer's dispute, we could make a case. But our interest is that the Lebanese should also have a stake in energy production, gas production in the Eastern Mediterranean to bring them closer to the interests of our um, alignment of nations called the EMGF, the Eastern Mediterranean Gas Forum. That's Italy and soon it will include France, which is very active. That's Egypt, Greece, Cyprus, Israel, Jordan, the Palestinian Authority. And drawing Lebanon uh, closer to that uh, position, I think, is in our interest. Indeed. Uh, Colonel Zahavi, considering the fact that uh, the Iranian proxy in Lebanon, Hezbollah, has been uh, the, the biggest uh, stumbling block in, in finding a solution to this conflict, uh, to what degree has uh, the, the reality altered? to the point where they are willing now to, to succumb to domestic pressures rather than international ones in order to find common ground with Israel. Of course, uh, the acknowledgement by the Lebanese uh, parliament had uh, Nabi Beri, who is the head or chairperson of the Amal uh, movement, which is the closest ally of Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, indicates to a certain degree that uh, there is an understanding uh, by Hezbollah Secretary General Hassan Nasrallah that this is indeed something favorable to Hezbollah as well. Is there something there that uh, we're missing or are we uh, seeing currently the situation in a, in a manner that uh, uh, projects all, all of the cards on the table, if you will? What we are missing is the disadvantage to Israel. Uh, I agree that this is a win-win situation, but actually it's also a win-lose situation. Because uh, I, I assume that Israel will compromise. But it doesn't matter. The compromise is not the issue. The issue is the money. The money that eventually uh, will get to Hezbollah uh, after this uh, compromise, after this agreement. 
Because as you said, both sides would win. And when I'm saying both sides would win, I mean that when the Lebanese side would win, it actually means that Hezbollah would win. Uh, it doesn't mean that the Lebanese people would win. It doesn't mean that the Lebanese government would win because there is no Lebanese government without Hezbollah today. And I think this is the main problem and this is something that we must look at. There is a, a common interest now to Israel and to Hezbollah to sign this agreement with compromise, without a compromise. It's actually not the issue. The issue is that both of us want the money. But the problem is that when Hezbollah will get the money, this would mean that it will have the budget that it lacks now uh, to finance uh, its uh, huge uh, civilian system, which is the enabler to its huge military system inside uh, Lebanon. And, you know, taking over more and more of the Lebanese state and preserving its uh, structure as a state within a state. Mr. Oven, there was a demand for reform by the IMF in order to bail out Lebanon prior to the blast of August. Then the, the port of Beirut blew up, uh, allegations against Hezbollah for having a weapons cachet just next to that uh, um, place of, of uh, uh, ammonium uh, nitrite. Uh, the explosion occurred, things uh, exacerbated, and uh, then there was a demand by France which came and, and provided a plan which was coupled, of course, with international humanitarian support, uh, which also once again demanded uh, a formation of a viable government of technocrats, which would then allow to, uh, uh, the state of Lebanon to reform itself and, and uh, root out the deep uh, embedded corruption in that country. Something that once again, Hezbollah rejected. Uh, it rejected also the IMF re uh, reform demands and also the French reform demands. Why does it now accept those reform demands in order to bring about negotiations with Israel, which, uh, as uh, Colonel Zavi mentions, uh, will only benefit Hezbollah in the long term and will challenge Israel's security interests in the long term. Well, IMF, International Monetary Fund, uh, demands um, only uh, come to show you that they are not politicians. They are not living in the real world because uh, the IMF is like a think tank with money to disperse. It's all well and good uh, to analyze rationally what has to be done. Then you come to the uh, cabinet table, you see the various pressure groups, and just like the coronavirus problem in Israel, everybody knew what had to be done in orthodox uh, towns, but uh, there was no political will to do it. So there was really no point in the analysis. Of course, even when King Hussein, to take a better case, when King Hussein is under, or King Abdallah now in, in Jordan, uh, comes under pressure from the IMF uh, to have reforms, to cut subsidies, the next day there are protests and he may lose his uh, throne. So he doesn't do it. The Lebanese, of course, will have, will always have a tug of war between the various ethnic groups, between the various warlords, between the various corrupt barons. And um, they will not reform their country, even if uh, President Macron or uh, the US president or the IMF demand it. But as for um, the, uh, uh, what is happening now at sea, um, I want to take uh, Sarid Zahavi's argument a bit further and perhaps uh, against the original 
uh, case which he made. Because it will be a continuous source of funds for Hezbollah, which, yes, they could put to an evil use, they would not like to lose it in war. It will serve as a deterrent. It is not a one-off uh, uh, treasure uh, which they get, and then they go spend it uh, at will. They will be very hesitant to fire at Israeli oil and gas derricks in order not to lose their own. Uh, I'd like to hear a response from Colonel Zavi. Well, uh, I've heard this um, explanation that the more money or the more, the more uh, control and power a terrorist organization has, these are uh, putting more restraints on the terrorist organization. But unfortunately, it didn't work. It didn't work in 2006. It didn't work with Hamas in Gaza. And eventually, Hezbollah, uh, Hezbollah's ideology uh, is following the Iranian ideology, which is not recognizing the state of Israel. Uh, it didn't work. I remember, and probably uh, uh, Dr. Lerman here remembers, the discussions in Israel before 2006 about the fact that the rockets will rust and that uh, Lebanon is going to compliance with the West and it is going to disarm Hezbollah. And all of that never happened. So I think after 14 years of watching from the side of what is happening in Lebanon, now it's time to think differently and to put the maximum pressure on Hezbollah, which any compromise in the maritime issue is just the opposite of this trend. Putting maximum pressure on Hezbollah is one thing, of course, that goes in line with the American position. But at the same time, the Americans are the ones who uh, triggered these negotiations in the first place and are mediating this whole uh, ordeal. Uh, Dr. Lehrman, several years ago, defi in defiance of the Israeli position, Lebanon published tenders for Block 9 and other places in its uh, offshore EEZ uh, with regard to uh, offshore gas exploration and uh, other uh, natural energy uh, exploration, something that uh, was immediately welcomed by France, by Italy, and by Russia, who published uh, their keen interest of, of participating in those tenders, uh, regardless of Israel's position on the matter. Uh, now that the Americans are involved, you spoke about Chevron, which is the uh, third largest market cap global uh, multinational energy company, American-owned, of course, uh, who has a big stake on the Israeli offshore gas reservoirs, how would it see a Russian uh, exploration uh, company, or even Turkey, which is very eager on uh, uh, increasing its influence uh, in, in Lebanon and is successfully doing so in the Sunni neighborhoods, if I may add, uh, how would they see it uh, growing in their uh, involvement in the offshore exploration on the Lebanese side, which would then border the Americans uh, if they do not win the Lebanese side? First of all, we need to look at the timeline. Um, we have fields ready for exploitation, uh, not far from, or, uh, from the uh, delineation uh, triangle. Whereas in the case of uh, Lebanon, it, it's a matter of looking down the road uh, it will take years before any money gets in. So uh, we should utilize these years, I think, to uh, post, and I agree fully, put maximum pressure on the Lebanese system to reform it thoroughly, to break the back of the sectarian system, and in doing so also break the back of, uh, of Hezbollah. 
Um, and um, and I think uh, the French uh, are definitely uh, uh, working in, in the right direction there. The Russian position is, is interesting because at the end of the day, uh, Israel has been very busy trying to drive a wedge uh, between the Russian and the Iranian long-term interests, both in Syria and in the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, and um, on many things, paradoxically, uh, we see eye to eye with Russia. Um, uh, for example, on the question of uh, the future of Libya. Uh, they are very much on the same side with the Egyptians, uh, with Haftar. Uh, their uh, proxies, their, uh, their, their mercenaries are there. So, uh, the, um, the, and, and the, so the overall equation in the Eastern Mediterranean uh, is, is one in which the Russians are not necessarily, from our perspective, a problem. Quite the contrary, if they come in, and have a vested interest in the ability to make use of these fields, um, then there is one more reason to assume that they will um, find their own ways, and the Russians can be subtle sometimes, and, and very not subtle some other time. They'll find their ways to ensure that there's safety in production for both sides. And this is our interest. After all, at the end of the day, there are billions uh, hanging in the balance here, uh, much um, depends on the, the capacity of Israel to integrate with others in the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, it has transformed our international position. It even played a role in the Abrahamic agreements because we see eye to eye with the Emirates on this question. So um, all of this makes the Eastern Mediterranean very important for us. And the removal of an irritant in the Eastern Mediterranean, I believe, is a strategic interest. But I, I, uh, I fully agree with Said that whatever can be done uh, in the years ahead to, uh, to utilize the current crisis in Lebanon to weaken Hezbollah should be done. I, uh, there's no uh, disagreement between us on this question. However, several years ago when uh, the Russians uh, voiced uh, uh, quite determined interest in investing and uh, uh, winning a tender for Israel's offshore gas reservoirs, the Americans stepped in and they rejected any Russian offer and warned Israel that if they would, there would be repercussions. To what degree do we see here now the global powers coming in and once again playing their power games on, at the expense of regional actors, including Israel? Well, the Russians um, are not uh, the worst competitors for the Americans. The Chinese are, and um, they have uh, a foothold at uh, Haifa Harbor, and uh, they could uh, ask for more uh, work uh, in infrastructure projects. But the Russians uh, are not only uh, uh, on the civilian side here in the Eastern Med. Uh, they are entrenched in Syria at uh, Latakia. Uh, they have a naval base. They don't uh, have yet the same size Mediterranean squadron, which they used to have at the heyday of the Cold War. But they may be coming back, and um, the entire um, maritime field between southern Turkey, Cyprus, Syria, Lebanon, northern Israel, uh, could become uh, a battlefield. Uh, now, obviously, it's in everyone's interest, much like in uh, the Persian Gulf and the uh, Straits of Hormuz. Here, you don't have a choke point, but you do have a concentration 
of uh, interests to uh, explore and exploit the riches of the sea without interference. Not to forget, of course, that the Russians have just uh, uh, last month signed an agreement with the Damascus regime in all that pertains to extracting the oil and yeah. offshore gas uh, reservoirs at the EEZ of, of Syria. Um, Colonel Zavi, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to uh, receive your perspective. To what degree do you see now uh, Lebanon trying to resolve its domestic issues with the help of Paris, with the help of other actors, uh, not to forget, of course, the announcement of uh, French Foreign Minister Jean-Yves Le Drian with regard to the international uh, aid conference that is set to take place in November. Uh, is everything interconnected when we're talking about uh, the situation vis-a-vis -vis also the, the EEZ in Block 9 and uh, the negotiations on other angles pertaining to Lebanon's future? Again, um, I think that uh, Lebanon now is in ground zero. Uh, here in Alma Center, we ask a lot about the question whether Lebanon is doomed or is there uh, a future to Lebanon? And it's a really tough question because our feeling is that um, though everything we had discussed now about French, IMF, Russia and United States, eventually there is a long way to go uh, by the Lebanese themselves because Hezbollah is getting stronger in Lebanon, and uh, Hezbollah is building a civil society system, which there is no alternative to in Lebanon, and the Lebanese themselves are demanding the replacement of all the Lebanese leadership. In order to replace all the Lebanese leadership, including Hezbollah, and in order to create an alternative to Hezbollah, there is a long way that the Lebanese themselves could, should do. They should create a new civil society organizations, maybe with the finance of outside uh, resources, but not with interference of outside uh, superpowers, uh, they should supply an alternative leadership, which I don't see exists for now. Maybe the diaspora, the Lebanese diaspora, should be much more involved in what is happening. Unfortunately, what we see from the internal arena of Lebanon, other than the protest, is a trend of leaving. Lebanese that are after the blast said, we have nothing to, to do here anymore. Uh, we are living. And we hear this from youngsters uh, in Lebanon, uh, mainly non-Shiites, of course. Another thing that we shouldn't forget is though everything that is going on inside Lebanon and the pressure uh, on Hezbollah and the protests in the streets, Hezbollah managed to preserve its bases of powers inside the Shiite society of Lebanon, whether it is South Lebanon, or uh, next to the uh, Syrian border in the Bakla Valley. Mm -hmm. And this is very important to understand the politics of Lebanon. Hezbollah is not getting weaker inside its uh, traditional uh, sources of power since Hezbollah is having this kind of civil society organizations that, by the way, are leading the efforts uh, or the campaign against the COVID-19. And we'll have to revisit this topic uh, in the near future once more as we uh, are running out of time. So I'd like to thank Colonel Zahavi, Dr. Lelman, and Mr. Oren for being to, uh, part of today's uh, panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.